Let me bow in your presence. Hallelujah. Let me worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you appreciate Him tonight? Let's just worship Him. Honor Him. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. We have a card here from the Kramers. It says, Dear Family. First, it's addressed to Family of Bethel Tabernacle. The dear family, having a real nice time, planning on leaving my brother Sunday. Beautiful country, swam in the Atlantic. See you all soon. Love the Kramers. I don't know if that's their pictures on there or not. <laughs> uh, the prayer breakfast is this Saturday, am I right? Prayer breakfast. So let's don't forget that. Everybody that can be out there at 8 o'clock and let's hear precious brother speak bonanza yes all right and also we have some printed up advertisements here i want you to take a bunch of them and hand them to your neighbor put them on your car take them to some businesses wherever you might go and be advertising our uh, camp plus our meeting that we're going to have and by the way that Tuesday night, we will be having service here. That Tuesday night, that meeting will be going on at camp. We'll be having service here, and Brother Jack Wilson, former pastor at Boyd, will be preaching. So we want to ask all of you that come to Bethel Tabernacle, or even the visitors, if you wouldn't mind just making the choice, Brother Reed will be here with us. You'll get to hear him here, plus two nights there. So you come on out. I think you will enjoy Brother Jack Wilson. I've always enjoyed him while he uh, ministered. So remember, we are going to have service here. Now, there's reasons for that. I just hate for someone to come to church and find the doors locked. Amen. So every time there's anything special, whatever, we'll have the doors open here for those that want to come. But we do want to ask the members if they will come on out here for Brother Jack Wilson. About the only time that he can come and and uh, we just enjoy him and appreciate him. So you come out and enjoy the blessings of the Lord with us. We'll be leaving tomorrow to go to Brazil camp, be teaching uh, there either Wednesday or Thursday or both. So you pray for us. We'll be back again by the weekend unless somebody kidnaps us or does something awful to us. So that's, that, that's, uh, that's not South America, Jim. That's uh, Brazil, Indiana. <laughs> So we're not really going that far. Like I said, unless we get kidnapped or something like that. And uh, then they're probably sending a ransom note. <laughs> what, what, what are you going to do if they do? <laughs> Say, just keep him, brother. <laughs> yeah, just keep him. <laughs> they probably will after a few days. They'll be baptizing after service. After that, there'll be a board meeting. Are you going to sandwich choir practice in there somewhere? They should. So, all right, we'll choir practice too. And you'll all get home before midnight. I guarantee you, get home before midnight. 
19th chapter of 1 Kings, and tonight I'm going to do something that I haven't done since 1968. And it's God's fault. And if it's a mess, He did it. But it's been since 1968, about that time, about 1967, I had a heart attack and I was on some quite strong medication and my thoughts wasn't too good and so uh, for the first time I began to make notes to minister by. Never did that before. And from then on I have always made notes uh, for all of that time. I've uh, studied and just made notes. Sometimes I didn't use them but I made them just the same because I got in the habit of just kind of following an outline or notes. But I studied pretty well all day on a subject, the stewardship of authority, and had it pretty well outlined here. Beautiful piece of yellow paper, some good writing on it, a beautiful message. And then just later on this evening, God directed my attention to the 19th chapter of First Kings. So we're going cold turkey tonight. There's no telling what I'm liable to say or what I'm liable to do. Until the Lord comes in. Not till he comes, but till he comes in. <laughs> Takes charge of me. Pray for me. As we said during the revival, it was just kind of a trial run to see how our voice was holding out and it wasn't doing the best in the world. So you pray for us tonight. 17th chapter or 19th chapter is filled full of important things that God tried to reach mankind with, the humanity down through the years and even to us. When we first hear of this man, Elijah, we see him appearing on the scene in the 17th chapter in the first verse and without too much announcement. And it simply says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was an inhabitant of Gilead, said unto Ahab. And that was his announcement at his coming to Israel as a prophet. He come at one of the worst times in the history of Israel, as Israel was steeped in idolatry and steeped in sin, and Ahab and Jezebel was making havoc of the worship to Lord God Almighty alone. Now, the very word Elijah is important. Elijah simply means God Jehovah. So that, that name in itself is important. Also, where he came from, inhabits, inhabits of Gilead, and uh, says Elijah the Tishbite. Now, there's been a lot of efforts made to claim that Elijah was a Gentile because uh, Gilead is uh, located outside of what the promised land was. But if you'll read it there, you'll find that Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh was allowed this land uh, before the others went in to conquer the promised land. And so actually they, Elijah was an Israelite, probably of the tribe of Reuben. And uh, inhabit of Gilead, in other words, it's a barren, desolate place, rough place, filled with a lot of robbers and uh, really a sinful place. So you see the setting of a man of God announces Lord God Jehovah coming from the land of Gilead, which no refined individual ever came from, and uh, stands upon Ahab's doorstep and says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth. In other words, he was making a pronouncement that Israel was going to turn to God or else. And you hear much about Elijah's life. Fact of business is, it's even prophesied that Elijah must come. And a lot of people think that Elijah is perhaps going to return uh, uh, perhaps in person, 
but I'd have to say my opinion is that he'll return just before the coming of the Lord in the same way he did when he appeared through John the Baptist. He came in the power, John the Baptist did, the power and the spirit of Elijah, challenging a sinful and adulterous generation and a world. And he came with power enough and authority enough that he had miracles enough at his control that he stopped the uh, seat of the government and made them listen for a while. And John the Baptist came the same way. And you'll find that in uh, St. Matthew, the 11th chapter, and the 13th and 14th verse said, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and you will receive it. This is Elias, which was far to come. But he also has a future appearance to be made. I believe it's going to be made through the church, through the power of Almighty God in a church and in the disciples and the apostles of God in a church. 17th chapter of St. Matthew simply says, 10th verse, and his disciples asked him, saying, Why then, saith the scribes, shall Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. In other words, there's future. He shall come. And then he says, But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not. So Elias, in a sense, has appeared through power and demonstration of John the Baptist announcing the first coming of the Lord. But some of the greatest days is yet ahead for the power and authority invested by Almighty God in his prophets, in his apostles, in his church to challenge the seat of the authority of the governments. Now, a lot of messages have been ministered concerning Elijah and his victories. In fact, Elijah's life was one whole complete miracle. After he announced that there wouldn't be any rain for three years, he was fed at Cherith, and uh, also he performed a miracle by the widow woman or the woman that was going to bake a cake and die, and he performed miracles there in so much that her meal barrel didn't waste, and also he raised the widow's son, and then he went and challenged Ahab, and finally... Elijah gets down to the business for which he comes. He challenges 450 false prophets of Baal, plus 400 prophets of the grove, as to the validity of who really was God. And he said it this way, If God be God, then follow him. And if Baal be God, then follow him. Now that's the same challenge that's going to be issued and hurled at individuals in this day that is soon to come under the same authority. In other words, God is going to separate, in a sense, the fence straddlers, those who just use God just for practical purposes. In other words, he's going to separate social religion from spirituality. And it's going to come under the same voice and under the same authority that Elijah came with and said, we've messed around long enough, you've played with God long enough, and we're going to prove who God really is. Now, if God is God then we'll worship him. And if Baal is God, then we'll worship him. And said to the people, answered him not a word. In other words, they were stopping listening to what this man had to say because finally there appeared a man on the scene that was going to put God in the spotlight. Somebody that was willing to place God where he belongs and put him in a place where he would have to answer. As I viewed that, I thought, God, there certainly is a need for a reappearance of a ministry so much like Elijah's in our day and hour. Somebody that would accept the challenge. 
somebody that would issue the statement and challenge humanity as to whether they're worshiping God or whether they're worshiping their idols. I realize we don't have an ugly-looking thing uh, to worship called Baal. I realize we don't have a fish god called Dagon, but we do have our gods. Amen? We do have them in every form and every fashion, and people are worshiping them every day. But there is, and I'm going to say again, perhaps in its infancy already, there is a ministry so much like and coming in the power of the spirit of Elijah, and it's going to shake the church world at its heels and begin to make it take notice of Almighty God. Hallelujah. Playtime will be over then, and mankind will not cling to something that's not actually his. It'll be ripped from his hands, or else he'll grasp hold of it and say, God is God. No idols will do. God is God. And finally, the basic challenge, and everybody knows what the basic challenge was, and Elijah's God answered by fire. And then he was still bold, still waxing great, and uh, he told them that rain was going to come. Went up and prayed. Everybody knows what he prayed, how his servant went up seven times, and Elijah stayed there still yet. I began to look at this type of a man, this type of power, that would cause him to get down on his knees and pray, make a statement, that he felt like God wanted him to make, and make that statement, get out on his knees and pray, and then send his servant out to look for a cloud and come back, and he didn't have one. Did that six times, and the man still stayed there because he believed God, because he knew that God was bound to answer him. And then he went, came back with this. There's a cloud out there. A lot of people say the size of a man's hand, but it doesn't say that. It says like unto a man's hand. Hallelujah. Like unto a man's hand. Not the size of a man's hand, but like unto a man's hand. I can draw some very peculiar conclusions for that. Hallelujah. Because if we're looking for a cloud, and there is one coming, and there is one appearing like unto a man's hand, and I find a man's hand is this, with five fingers sticking out, which to me just indicates the fivefold ministry of Almighty God activated and working in its purity. And I like to go out once in a while, look on the horizon, and like to see if I can see that side, that cloud that is uh, just like into a man's hand. And sometimes I believe I see it out there as individuals are on their knees, anointed of God, praying of God, and asking somewhere, somehow, that the power of God would show itself and separate social religion and humanism from that which is pure and holy and just like Jesus. I long for the day. I said, I long for the day. And now that we've saw that great man, his whole ministry has been a miracle. And we deal with that a lot. But God called my attention to something else. The 19th chapter is very unlike the ones preceding that. Very unlike it. Let's read about the first three verses and then we'll have some comments. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. 
Now, whether we want to realize it or not, in spite of all the miracles that preceded that man's ministry, in this chapter is the making of a man. In this chapter is the finalization of a man to show that he does not, cannot exist in the realm of miracles alone. And there has to be times when he undergoes, even times like Elijah did. I doubt seriously there's ever appeared a man greater than Elijah with the exception of perhaps Moses. No greater prophet displayed any more power and any more ability than this man called Elijah. And he had just phrased from his victory over odds that weighed 850 to 1. And still prayed and cried and the cloud came and everything Elijah had ever said came to pass. And yet we find this man, great man, under the authority of God, running for his life. Now when you begin to look at it, you have to find out why did he do this. And we have to realize this. That men and women are not always brought to God by the outward manifestations of great power. You can see outward manifestations of the great power of God. And it doesn't change everybody. Elijah looked into the city that day expecting to find Jezebel with the same fear in her heart as Ahab had. And this is where he made his first mistake. He assumed that his great triumph on Mount Carmel would immediately change the leaders of the country and they, all Israel then would turn from their apostasy back to God. And yet as he waltzed into that city, he was met with the fervent demands of a woman called Jezebel, which is simply a sign of the false church that will never repent and never feel remorse and stand in the face of Almighty God even up to the end and say, I won't repent. I'll stand my own, my, on my own power and on my own strength. And Elijah was met with that. That he was met with that for the first time. Fear and disappointment obscured his vision of God. I believe sometimes that's where the church world sets today. It came into existence under a mighty wave and move and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not to say all oh, this is gone. It isn't. You'll see pockets over here and pockets over there and pockets over someplace else. And that's not enough. God likes to have a river that's flowing, not just little reels that's opened up. God likes to have a holy church that's on the move for Him at all times. And not just at certain times where certain things happen. He wants to be God all the time in the mountains and in the valleys. Hallelujah. I'm doing all right, Brother Strong would say. Praise the Lord a minute while I get drinking. Hey, I don't need any notes. And he met him there. And fear gripped hold of that man, I suppose, for the first time. How many of you? I've been there. I'm not ashamed to admit it. How many of you have went wrong hole for God? I mean, there wasn't anything God couldn't do or wouldn't do. And it didn't seem to matter in your life. And then you run against an obstacle. A very firm thing that wouldn't move. Even though you prayed for it too, it still stood there, strong as it ever was. And then all at once doubt entered in. All at once fear entered in. 
All at once you lost sight of the very thing that always motivated you, which was Almighty God. And friend, fear and doubt and discouragement will veil God from us and we can't see Him and we can't feel Him and we can't know He was there. And that's the very reason why Elijah took flight for his life. Because he thought that because of the great display of power that he had, that Jezebel would just naturally succumb like Ahab. That Jezebel was of another mold than Ahab. If you'll notice all throughout the, the rulership or the reign of Ahab, Jezebel was a motivating force. Ahab seemed to be a coward. And it wasn't anything to shake him up with a display of power. But what humbled Ahab just simply hardened Jezebel's heart. And friend, if we ever for a moment think that miracles on great display and whatever God can do is going to change the false church, we are wrong. It just simply hardens them against the power and warning of Almighty God. I've had people to say, well, if just so-and-so could just see what God does, then that's not going to change some people. It's just going to harden their heart, and it gets harder and harder. And they'll threaten you, just like they did Elijah. Had Elijah not lost sight of God, he could have stood before Jezebel the same as he could have stood before Ahab. And there he was. He thought that whenever he went in there, he'd see Jezebel just like he saw Ahab. But instead, he got a death threat hurled at him, and they sent him on his way. Fourth verse said, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough, O my Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I want you to notice in there, like you ought to be as long as you're discouraged and despondent. You don't have the power, the rationale that you ought to have. And Elijah was running for his life, went and sat down under a juniper tree. And I want you to notice something I'll bear it out a little bit later. But while Elijah was sitting under that juniper tree, he was still a novice. Oh yes, he'd had great display of power. And I've seen that and so have you. I've seen miracles and I've seen individuals stand with those miracles. And when they come down to the supreme test, they were novices. They couldn't handle it. God wants somebody to walk through the fire, thank God. God wants somebody that's been there and back and went through it. Hallelujah. He's not looking for little kids that use things as a play toy. And he's looking for somebody that can believe him in whatever circumstances they might find themselves in. And here, like I said, under the juniper tree, Elijah was storing a fit like a lot of us do. God is enough. It's enough. Here I had all Israel. I can just see him, and I'm going to paraphrase. I had all Israel had my fingertips under my control. And here you let that woman do what she did. And here I am. And he's saying, I'm no better than my fathers. In other words, he was saying, my fathers and my forefathers came and testified against the idolatry of Israel, and they still persisted in their idolatry, and I haven't done any better than they've done. So it's enough, he said. Take my life away from me. Just take my life. And here's something that I looked at, and I thought it's just like Jesus. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals, and a cruise of water in his head. He did eat and drink and laid him down again. 
And the angel of the Lord came again in the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. I looked at that and I felt the arms of the master go around me. I felt then Jehovah's tender care of his prophet. And I thought that's just the way he is still yet today with his people. He didn't jerk him up but a head of the hair and rebuke him when he was in the position he was in. Elijah was wrong. Elijah had lost a vision. Elijah had left his duty, his place of respectability. And Elijah had ruined almost everything he had built up. And he was complaining to God because he was still alive. And instead of God being sadistic like he's portrayed many times, he just said, now you just eat. I'm going to provide it for you because the journey's too much for you. In other words, the excitement of the hour and what you've been through. I'm not going to chastise you now, Elijah. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to water you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to nourish you and turn you back where you need to be again. I thought, God, that's just the way you do your people. You don't jerk them up and shake them and scream at them. Not then. You wait until they're nourished. The individual is weak. The individual is out of the will of God. They don't have their priorities straight at all. And God just doesn't jump on them. I realize a lot of lay members do, and a lot of preachers do, but God doesn't. God still takes into consideration humanity and place and realizes that mankind, even if a great man like Elijah can find those places, so can you and I time and time again. And the same God that says the journey's too much for you to Elijah says the same thing to you and I today. Sometimes the journey is too much. Sometimes it's a hard place. Sometimes we see the sin. We persevered. We prayed. We tried. We've done everything else in the world, and nothing has changed. We've set the stage. We've beheld miracles, and mankind continues on in his same way. And we sit down, disturbed and discouraged, and say, "God will never change. It'll never change." And weary. And sometimes we just sit down, leave our post of duty, and go someplace else, another direction. You see, Elijah should have stayed there. His duty wasn't over with yet. His responsibility was still there. But God took into consideration the condition of this man. His attitude, mentally, physically, and spiritually. I'm here to tell you tonight, that same God that viewed Elijah then, still looks down upon humanity today. For there is no greater than he was. There are hours and times that we just simply can't handle it. And we do need times of rest. We do need rest. And we do need food. You see, God knew something that all of us ought to know. That the first thing he did to Elijah was let him sleep. Replenish this body with what it needs. And then gave him something to eat and something to drink. And get this body in the position it needs to be. And then when this body is sent away, this spirit had a gentler place to go. You know, it's a lot easier for a well man to worship God than it is for a sick man. Of course, body, place has something to do with what happens inside of us spiritually. That's the reason God would like to have us all well, as well as we can be. It's because he realizes full worship can come from us when a body is healthy and strong. And there's nothing there to bother it, and we can't do it without it. The Apostle Paul did what his thorn in the place was, I don't know. But he still worshiped God. And here he was, the tender care of the Jehovah God on this man called Elijah. Listen, friend, I don't know why I'm getting this way, but if you've been disturbed and discouraged, and you seem to have been out it for some time, and you know that you're not 
doing what you ought to do or should be doing, have the devil's whispering to you and telling you you're backslid. Well, just stay where Elijah did for a minute and just let God feed you and let Him water you with His Holy Spirit and let Him give you some rest and then, then He'll start talking to you. Don't just throw it all away. Just throw it all away. There's, there, there's thousands of people at home now because they've been overwrought and overtaxed, disturbed, discouraged. And they think that's the end of it. The devil tells him it is. And Elijah, if that great man had done all those things, could be in this position, how much more susceptible to this are we? And he said, now you just eat because the journey's been too much for you. Now he didn't leave at the journey from uh, Jezebel's presence to where he was because that was just a bare 170 some odd miles. He didn't mean that. He was talking about the full journey, the spiritual things that he had done. And listen, I believe there's a place that said Elijah was a man of like passion even as we. I want you to realize what it's like to stand there I, I realize he stood in power and he stood in authority, but he was still man. There must have been a few times when he just really wondered when he was challenging them. And can you realize the excitement and the pitch that his body must have got into as he was wrestling against all this and then praying for the, for the cloud to come and for the rain and then girding up his loins and running before Jezebel, uh, running before he had the Jezreel. All of this was not only naturally taxing, but this was spiritually taxing. And we find Ahab's journey from the time he started out to deal with the false prophets of Baal, it meant that it was simply too much for him. And God said, I'm not going to allow you to be overtaxed. What is that scripture that says he who put no more on us than that which we're able to bear? And there comes time when we have to lay down under a juniper tree, so to speak, and rest from the labors that's been before us and realize that God is restoring us. Doesn't mean that our duty, doesn't mean our responsibility is over. It just means that they're to be finished and God don't want to use anybody but us. And so he just puts us in a place of rest and relaxation and he feeds us a cake or bread, so to speak, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water. Hallelujah. And he said, I'm the bread from heaven. Thank God. Laid it right down in front of us. Hallelujah. And the cool, cold springs of water, the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, it's refreshing to you and I. And it's ours today. He first and he rose. Did eat and drink. Went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights into Horeb, the mouth of God. And he came thither into the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, throwing down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left. They seek my life to take it away. There's something significant in here. We find Elijah the mount of God. We find God about to display His great power. But it was here in Mount Horeb that Moses met God in the flaming fire of a bush. 
revealed himself as the great I am, the great display of power, miraculous by fire. And it was there that the mount of thunder and lightnings and smoke and the quakings of the mount where man durst to run into. And all of this, and Elijah evidently was used to God had displayed his might and his power in destructive forces, so to speak. But you see, God had something else he wanted Elijah to know. He wanted Elijah to know something that you and I need to know today. Had ministers all over the world and lay members alike need to know today. Had great displays of power and might. Hardly ever saves anyone. Of course, there's no intellect in there. There's no reasoning in there whatsoever. How if we could get humanity to listen to the still, small voice of God that comes from the intellectual being and enters into the heart. You see, these displays are seen by the eyes only. And the still, small voice of God enters into the heart and changes that heart and speaks to that heart. And Elijah needed to know that. Evidently, he wasn't afraid. If you notice here, he went to the Mount of God. There's special reason why he had him to go 40 days and 40 nights to get to the Mount of God. Because here's where the great displays of power has always been. I read something else in there and I'm going to pass it on. This great display of power and the might, of course, representing a representative of the law. That this destroys almost everything that it touches. And their spear has to stand there at that mount. And so much that they was almost afraid to touch it. As smoke belts from it. And the rocks moved from it. And the winds came and shook. The rocks even and fire even burned. And as they stood there at that mount, they was almost afraid. And told Moses to go on and speak to God for them. Had read that representative of the law. Had that still small voice of God. Had breathed mercy and compassion and love. Had identifies grace that God has given to mankind for these 2,000 years. And we identify him and the words that he speaks have grace and knowledge to mankind. But here he was. And God says simply for the first time. Starts to challenge him. Elijah. What are you doing here? And Elijah starts to make some excuses. As he says, in a sense, well, it's very evident why I'm here. I mean, you ought to know why I'm here, in a sense. Now, the tone of his language here. Now, he says the same thing on down, but the tone has been changed. As he seems to give God some excuse, you know why I'm here. I was jealous for you. I came and I saw a land filled with idolatry and sin, and I stood by myself against 850 false prophets in a land that was defiled by the iniquity of the false prophet Baal. And the children of Israel forsaken thy covenants. They've thrown down your altars, and they've killed your prophets. I'm the only one that's left. In other words, he's saying, Now, God, You'd have been like you ought to be in and where you ought to be in. I'm the only one left. You'd have let me finish the job. But the way it is, I can't finish it. And then God said something very pertinent to him as he said, Now, you go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and a strong wind, ripped the mountains. Evidently, Elijah must have been acquainted with this type of display. And it, it, it didn't worry him at all. And breaking pieces to rock before the Lord. And what must have really challenged him was the Lord was not in the wind. 
The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, after the great displays, three of them, so to speak, and God wasn't in them. And then comes a still, small voice. And Elijah listened to the speechster's intellect. It tells him things that fire and hail and wind and disturbances in the mountains couldn't tell him. And friend, listen, a still, small voice of God in the midnight hours can speak things to us that all the displays of humanity can never speak to us. Sometimes he talks to the inner resources of man. For here is where man has his communion with God. Here is where you really find out what God is like. And he finds out what you're like. You see, God invites us to have communion. A lot of people talk to God. But talking to somebody is not communion. When you have communion with somebody, you come together and you share your innermost secrets. I mean, there's not a thing you keep from that individual because you're communing with them. And they're communing with you. And that's what God made Adam for in the first place. And when Adam uh, went on after his own way, he broke that communion and God walked in the cool of the day. And he was lonely because he made Adam to talk to him and to commune with him. In other words, I firmly believe that Almighty God, Jehovah God, in the garden that time, shared with Adam all his aspiration for humanity on up to the millennium, on up to the eternal day of the Lord. And I believe God missed that when Adam sinned because he couldn't commune with him on that level anymore. The spiritual aspect of man had disappeared. And a lot of people talk to God today. Probably most church members talk to God. But I doubt too seriously there's too many of us commune with him. I mean, really get down and commune with him. And he can trust us enough that he would tell us what he had in mind for the world and share some of his innermost secrets and talk to humanity. I'm sure Adam did the same thing to him. But Elijah heard his voice, and for the first time he left the cave. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him. Now he listen, says the same thing. What doest thou here, Elijah? What are you doing here? In other words, he had took care of him. He had fed him. He had sent him to the mount. He had let him see the great display. And then he had spoken to his innermost being in a still small voice. And now then, he thought this. There will be a time and a way I'll get him back to duty now. He's ready to listen to me. He's ready to get back where he belongs. Hallelujah. And there's a lot of us, as far as church work is concerned, ought to get back where we belong. Amen. We ought to get down where we belong and complete that which God has set for us to do. And instead of just staying under the juniper tree and staying in the cave and seeing and waiting for great displays of power, we need to listen to the still small voice of God and let Him tell us what our duty is. And He says it in the same thing, but just a different tone. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, throwing down thine altar, slaying thy prophets with the sword, and I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And now then, here's what the Lord said, in a sense. Elijah, you're not done. You're not done. You've left Israel without an anointed king. 
You've left Syria without an anointed king, and you've left your office without anybody anointing to take over your office. You're not done yet, Elijah. You're not done. And this is what he says. Go and return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou cometh, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshah, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And Abel Mahola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that he that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. Him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And now to answer your question, Elijah, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed into Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. And you'll find as you follow Elijah's path until he finally was taken up just imagine the man that was crying out to die. Almighty God knew that he never would. <laughs> Hallelujah. He knew it all the time, and yet he was crying out to die. It's enough, he says. But you'll never find Elijah losing sight of God anymore. I want to tell you why he didn't. Because he'd been under the inner course and inner recesses of God. And he'd learned, had went over the great display that was happening. He learned something you and I need to learn. After the 1900s, when the great display of power came into the church, and the church uh, had miracles almost everywhere, and then they entered into an age when the miracles seemed to cease. And a lot of times when the miracles was gone, so was the followers. And when there were those had learned that Christianity is more than a miracle. Christianity is more than a great display of power. Christianity is communion with Almighty God. And will be there in spite of everything else. And has gone down the drain. Almighty God is there with you. And Elijah never lost sight of him again. Because he looked for him in different places than he looked for him before. I think that might be good advice for church individuals today. Is look for God in the secret corners. Look for Him in the closet someplace. As you're interceding, you're going to find Him there. He hasn't left us yet. And just right around the corner, perhaps on the verge of it, He's going to take men, women, boys, and girls that came out from the cave and realized that they had to talk to God. Listen, they're still small boys. I doubt seriously that the voice ever spoke audibly. I doubt seriously that it ever uttered a voice anybody else could hear. And it was such close communion that God communed with Elijah heart to heart. He spoke from his heart to Elijah's heart. And I believe he wants to do the same thing today. He'll speak from his heart to ours. And let it land upon ears that will hear. And hearts that will feel. And hearts that will respond. Elijah's day was a wonderful day. And Elijah, that great man of God, had his times of depression, aggravation, discouragement and loneliness and it wasn't until he learned that God could talk to him any place anywhere. On the din of this world it made me sense. While there's voices from every place friend best don't let them become so loud in our life that it drowns out the voice of all my God. Let's keep our heart our life and we can tell you the heaven that we can hear you and come out of the what error to time. What error to case. What this world as a church is 
going to face before Jesus comes, I don't know. I could give you theories and conjectures. I could tell you one that says everything, uh, humanity is going to be caught up, we'll have to endure nothing. Others will say humanity will be for, here for three and a half years. Others say no plumb to. Uh, this one thing I know, that God is going to have a people that's been refined as silver is refined and tried as gold is tried in the furnace of fire and have endured and can endure and will endure. And how do they endure but as knowing God when He speaks to us in our band of loneliness and despair and we're able to reach out and get a hold of us. He's got fruit laying there by him. He's got water laying there by him. And he wants you to recuperate. Because, friends, there's a great big battle ahead of us. Hallelujah. It's right in front of us. And there needs to be another great display of God's power and comes to the power of the Spirit. I'm alive as John the Baptist did, stepped out of the wilderness and began to preach and repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Hallelujah. Made the acts of the didn't have any time for hypocrites to play away. Didn't have any time for individuals that just wanted to play with God. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when they come out to offer, so to speak, what little they had, and he said, what are you doing here, you hypocrites, generation of vipers? Bring forth some truth and meat to repent. In other words, show me some reality. Show me you really want something. And they laid the axe in the room. And they let the chips fall when they do Do we dare do this? How many pastors could keep the pulpit? One of these days, the pulpit is going to be made. A pulpit is what you make it. You ever follow a pulpit and what it means? You realize where Jesus made his. The bedside of sick ones, the graveside of, of loved ones. Went and pushed out a little bit from the shore of the boat, made a pulpit out of the boat. Stood on the seashore, made a pulpit out of that. In other words, wherever the gospel was needed, that was his pulpit. And God help us to make a pulpit wherever we do. In whatever house we were in. And I think I'm done. That was that. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord.